Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last time in part two of my interview with Stephanie Gray Connors, author and international speaker, we discussed that human beings are not products. We are not commodities. We are not produced but begotten. God's design is to have us begotten in love and like the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mother, father, and child are an exchange of love. When new life does not flow from love, it is very painful. And the pain and anguish felt by infertile couples is very real and often leads to desperate and sometimes unethical measures like IVF. Today you will hear the third and final part of my recent interview with Stephanie Gray Connors as we discuss her new book, Conceived by Science, thinking carefully and compassionately about infertility and IVF. In the segment, we will continue our discussion regarding new hope for infertile couples by way of a new ethical and efficacious technology called NAPRO technology, which stands for Natural Procreative Technology, and which forms the basis for restorative reproductive medicine. Before we continue, let us pray. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy, prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls, will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 reads this way. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the learning of the learned I will set aside. Where is the wise one? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the wisdom of the world foolish? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not come to know God through wisdom, it was the will of God through the foolishness of the proclamation to save those who have faith. For Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. 
But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called Jews and Greeks alike, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. O God, save us from the sin of seeking excessive control. Save us from the desire to dominate our own bodies and our own lives. Save us from the false idol of pursuing our own goals and desires apart from you. Help us to see that the wise of the world who want to dominate and control our bodies are in fact foolish. And those who acknowledge weakness and who seek your will are wise. Teach us to submit to your will, your will for us, as did your blessed Mother Mary, who said, Let it be done unto me according to your will. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have discussed, there are many ethical problems with artificial reproductive technology, including IVF. The advantage of restorative reproductive medicine is its ethical acceptability as well as its efficacy. Today, in the third and final segment of my interview with Stephanie Gray Connors, we will continue to discuss this little-known but beautiful and ethically superior method of treating infertility, which begins the way all good medicine should begin, by making an accurate diagnosis before proceeding with treatment. Another example is... You mentioned the polycystic ovarian disease. Well, they will often, you know, end up having IVF for that. But a very simple process, like you mentioned, is a wedge resection. And it gets, Mm -hmm. and it's because the ovary produces too much male hormone, too much androgen. And if you do the surgical intervention, it turns out to be better. It it turns out to be a better treatment. Uh, Just to kind of amplify what you're saying, the you know, if you choose the uh, the ethical means, it it, uh, it often is more effective as well. Right, and I think you know, as you as you make these points, what comes to mind is the question: Then why don't people choose the ethical means? <laughs> you know, why yeah. are they opting for IVF? And a few things come to mind. The first is I think there's actual genuine ignorance. People yes. aren't aware that these alternatives exist. So they think IVF is the only option. So the, the first thing that we need to do is help people become aware, which is why I wanted this book to not just be a moral critique of IVF, but really mm-hmm. shine the light on alternatives. So right. someone who's struggling with infertility says, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was available to me, and they actually get help. 
But the second reason why I think, um, besides ignorance, um, IVF might be chosen over alternatives is that IVF makes someone, in a sense, feel like they're in more control. Yes. It's like, okay, if you've got concrete sperm sample, you've got concrete egg, it's going to the lab. It feels like it's more likely, even though there actually is a high failure rate with IVF, nonetheless, yes. it instinctively, it makes people feel like they're more in charge of making a baby happen. Whereas mm-hmm. if you use the alternatives, at the end of the day, you're still using sexual intimacy to ultimately conceive. Mm-hmm. And you have no guarantee when you have sex if uh, an egg is there at the moment, whether the egg won't be released for a day and if the woman gets pregnant outside of sexual intimacy, but when the sperm is still alive in her body and, and you know, when she ovulates, uh, but which sperm, which egg, what moment, um, all of that is really left to God. Yes. Um, it's left to chance. <laughs> Someone, mm-hmm. But the point is there isn't a forcing and a manufacturing, whereas with IVF, it feels like you have more control and we are a culture that that prefers control. Right. Um, and then the third reason why I think it's perhaps not chosen but promoted, it's a money-making industry. Yeah, absolutely. And so, again, if you look at incentives, people are incentivized in the IVF industry to get others to choose IVF because then they will get a whole lot of money. Whereas with restorative reproductive medicine, some of the interventions can be costly. You know, if you need surgery, that's right. going to be an expense. Um, we've paid for my progesterone prescriptions. And so, you know, there, there's some expense, but not nearly oh, to no. the level of, no. of IVF. And so the physician involved in restorative reproductive medicine versus the physician involved in IVF, the one involved in IVF is going to make more money by convincing people to take that approach as opposed to taking the approach of restorative reproductive medicine. Yeah, and in, uh, in most cases in life, uh, if you want to know why something is happening, you follow the money. And, follow uh, the money. Like you say, uh, the whole IVF industry is a huge money-making um, procedure, and as you mentioned, it's it's not that effective. It's about you know, maybe 25% of um, uh, each each cycle has about roughly, you know, there's a range depending on the problem, but maybe 20 to 25% per cycle. Well, each cycle is like ten or $15,000, and most women can't tolerate more than two. So for something that is hugely expensive and very invasive and very demeaning in many ways, it has a very low likelihood of success. In many respects, restorative reproductive medicine is as successful or more successful, and it's cheaper, and it's ethical. It's, right. I'm, I'm hoping that your book and shows like this can help get that uh, message out. So you, you mentioned toward the end of the book that you would like to see all aspects of in vitro fertilization stop. What are your thoughts about how this can be brought about? Great question, yeah, because I think that, that once we realize the, the harms and the problems with IVF, that even even when a child is ultimately successfully created by it, how many other children were destroyed for that one child to be created? Yes, you know, right. one of the points I make is that a couple can have two kids but lose 15 others because they had 17 embryos created but only two came to birth, mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, the loss of life is very significant in this. So once we become aware of that, yeah, our our immediate response should be, okay, there has to be a total stop. Now, how that happens, I mean, there's always the the classic two ways. The first is education. So you hope that 
you, you educate people adequately so that mm-hmm. it doesn't even enter their heart right. to act on choosing IVF in response to their infertility. And so it's my hope that the book spreads far and wide. Yes. You know, it's available on Amazon in all marketplaces around the world, you know, so hoping that uh, this message will get out there and the average person won't choose it anymore. Um, but of course, uh, there also needs to be the approach of a political aspect as well, that I think we in civil societies have a standard that the law should protect the vulnerable from being um, mm-hmm. harmed. Mm-hmm. And so because vulnerable preborn children are harmed by IVF, I think very certainly there should be laws uh, against it because it's the commodification and manufacturing and jeopardizing of the human person. And just as we have laws against slavery, which involves treating the human person as an object and disposing or abusing the human person, we should have laws against IVF because it involves treating the human person, the youngest of our kind, um, as an object, whether jeopardizing their lives or, or certainly destroying some other lives. Then there is the, you know, one of the appendixes I have in my book, which is a whole other discussion, is what do we do with the embryos that are right, left? So right. let's say we stop everything today. Um, there's laws against it. No one long in, in their heart any longer wants to pursue IVF. But we still have millions of embryos in the freezer. Right. Uh, what, what do we do with them? And that, that's a whole whole other issue. But the main point I wanted to get across was we shouldn't do this anymore, and this is why, and, and hoping it resonates with people. Right. It's interesting that the, the, uh, the church hasn't really, the Catholic Church, who has a lot of experience with ethical issues for a couple thousand years, hasn't really come down one way or the other about the ethics of adopting uh, embryos whether or not that's ethical, but that's that's a, a whole other uh, discussion. But in IVF, you're you're interested in kind of producing a child, but in restorative reproductive medicine, we're interested in in family building, and that's one of the things that struck me when I know you know Dr. Tom Hilders at the Pope Paul VI Institute, and he treated infertility by using restorative reproductive medicine, otherwise called uh, NAPRO technology. And his restorative method is also geared toward uh, adopting so that sometimes having a pregnancy uh, doesn't work even when you're using restorative reproductive medicine. But then that openness to life uh, leads one to want to do family building uh, by way of adoption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the points I also wanted to make in my book is I share some beautiful good news stories of friends of mine who pursued restorative reproductive medicine and successfully gave birth to babies. I share the stories of friends who didn't, because I think we need to be intellectually honest that although we should try to reweave shalom and and help as many people whose bodies are, are broken and sick and wounded um, and help them find healing, um, we can't uh, do that perfectly in this broken world, that there still will be disease, there still will be sickness, there still will be death. And so sadly, there is some infertility that cannot be addressed um, in terms of being corrected. But what I wanted to then do was share other good news stories of people who found alternative ways of fulfilling that deep desire 
within our nature to be mother and father, whether that is to be mother and father through adoption or fostering, or whether that is to be a spiritual mother and father through a type of spiritual parenthood. One of the most touching stories I feel that I've included in my book was the interview I did with my friend who I, in the book, for anonymous purposes, call her Bethany. Mm -hmm. Um, She's been pregnant for, I think, about 20 years now, and she's never conceived and won't ever conceive. Um, And she's never adopted or fostered, but she travels the world um, with a, a Christian ministry. And for anonymity, I don't disclose the ministry, but if I was to say the ministry in her name, it, she would be well recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talks about the profound fulfillment that she has in her life as a spiritual mother, that um, she feels so many people's lives around the world have been blessed and benefited by her pouring herself out mm-hmm. uh, in proclaiming the gospel and spreading the good news. And that hasn't resulted in in physical children, but it has resulted in spiritual children that far outnumber any physical children right, that, right. that she could have possibly ever had. And she talks about wrestling with the challenges she went through in that um, time of infertility, and then the acceptance she had once she realized she shouldn't turn her desire for a child into an idol, mm-hmm. that um, the only God in her life should be God himself. Yes. And if she believes God is number one, then that means she has to trust that he has a good plan for her. And that plan might not be as she thought, uh, or even in the moment as she seemed to want, but his plans are good, and they're for our good. And as time has gone on, when she released this idol of having a child and instead said, no, God, you're my number one, whatever you want, I want, um, she just talks about profound fulfillment in her life, and, and her whole story, again, which is included later in the book, is, is really moving. Mm. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much for all the time you've given, and thank you so much for writing the book, and I hope everybody goes out and buys Conceived by Science, Thinking Carefully and Compassionately about Infertility and IVF. And uh, you mentioned they can get it on Amazon. Can they also get it on your website, if people go to loveunleasheslife.com, it will provide the direct link to Amazon. Um, also, information on my other books as well. So whether um, they go to loveunleasheslife.com or just mm. look up Conceived by Science Online and get the book, hopefully they will be blessed by it. Great. Well, any, um, any final thoughts? You know, I just hope that uh, anyone who is listening to this and was conceived by IVF uh, I think one of the points that's important to address, which I touch on in my book, is, is to make the point that regardless of how we came into existence, yes. who has come into existence is always someone to be celebrated, because each of us as human beings are unrepeatable and irreplaceable, and right. we are made in God's image, and we are willed by God. Right. God doesn't will sin, so he doesn't will necessarily how someone has come into existence. Some people came into existence through rape, or some people have come into existence through a one-night stand. Mm-hmm. Um And God doesn't celebrate those sins, but he certainly celebrates the individual who is made in his image, who is unrepeatable, irreplaceable, and good. And so in the same way, um, in in my moral critique of in vitro fertilization, in no way am I critiquing the individuals who come into existence by way of that. I'm critiquing the method, but not the person, and, and the individual ought to be celebrated as someone who is is good and uh, made in God's image. Yes, and that's a great point to end on. And uh, once again, thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining me and for writing the book. You're welcome.
This concludes my conversation with Stephanie Gray Connors regarding her new book, Conceived by Science, Thinking Carefully and Compassionately About Infertility and IVF. I would encourage anyone who has had problems with infertility or know somebody who has to buy her book, Conceived by Science, Thinking Carefully and Compassionately About Infertility and IVF. Also visit her website at loveunleasheslife.com. Next week I will introduce to you Father Joseph Tom. T-H-A-M, regarding the secularization of bioethics. IVF is a notable example of where such secularized, situational ethics have led. Father Tom was born in Hong Kong and immigrated to Canada at the age of 15. At the University of Toronto, He majored in mathematical science and eventually graduated from medical school. After several years of work as a family physician, he entered the seminary of the Legionnaires of Christ and was ordained as a priest in 2004. He obtained degrees in philosophy and theology at Regina Apostolorum Pontifical University in Rome and subsequently was Dean of the School of Bioethics at the university where he currently teaches bioethics. He has written extensively about bioethics, including that of IVF. I would like to segue from this series of shows regarding IVF by reading excerpts from a paper authored by Father Tom entitled, The Ethics of Assisted Reproduction Technology, a Catholic Perspective. Father Tom states, Even though the title refers to the Catholic perspective regarding this bioethical issue, its approach does not start from faith or church pronouncements, but argues from reason and philosophy. The Catholic tradition favors an interpretation of reality according to the natural law and confirms, through the official church's magisterial pronouncements, that carry with it different levels of adherence. The Catholic Church espouses natural law, natural law reasoning because of its continuing validity and realist metaphysical worldview. It believes that there is a common moral sense inherent to all persons, regardless of race, gender, age, culture, religion, or status. This common morality allows us to discern what is right and wrong, and to strive to do good and avoid evil. This knowledge is discoverable because of our shared human nature, and it obliges us as if there was an internal law written within our hearts. The origin of such natural law is ultimately traceable to the Creator. Even though its obligation is universal, 
and whether we acknowledge God or not. Continues Father Thom, This system offers the possibility of global ethics despite cultural diversities among individuals. A human act's moral specification depends on three elements, the object, the intention, and the circumstances. All three aspects need to be fulfilled for an action to be correct. The intention, no matter how good, can never justify the act if the object is immoral. As the saying goes, the end never justifies the means. Hence, in the question of reproduction, even though the desire to have children is good, not every means employed is necessarily acceptable. We need to evaluate each means according to their conformity with human nature and the integral human good. According to this reasoning, the Church has pronounced on reproduction techniques in Donum Vitae, with a later update in Dignitas Personae. Both of these Vatican documents, Donum Vitae and Dignitas Personae, pertain to the dignity of the human person with respect to biomedical research. As a summary of judging the ethical soundness of any infertility treatment, the instruction Dignitas Personae lists three criteria. With regard to the treatment of infertility, new medical techniques must respect three fundamental goods. A, the right to life and to physical integrity of every human being from conception to natural death. B, the unity of marriage, which means reciprocal respect for the right within marriage to become a father or a mother only together with the other spouse. And C, the specifically human values of sexuality which require that the procreation of a human person be brought about as the fruit of the conjugal act specific to the love between spouses. Father Tom goes on to say, a child who is thus begotten, not made, embodies the union of his father and mother. They have not simply reproduced themselves, nor are they merely a cause of which the child is an effect. Rather, the power of their mutual love has given rise to another who, though different from them, and equal in dignity to them, manifests in his person the love that unites them. Their love-giving has been life-giving. It is truly procreation. Tune in next time to my interview with Father Joseph Tom. And until then, remember... We should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first do no harm. 
First, do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Richburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rollo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrollo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.